are starting a brand new series today in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a series entitled Chasing the Wind. And uh, I want to start it this way. Uh, I've been married to my wife almost 16 years this year. And I remember when we were single. I remember when I was single and I, I kind of put up marriage on this pedestal and this platform. Like if I could get there, then I will have arrived. You kind of picture me as a college student. Uh, many of you can relate to this who, who are single. You kind of think, hey, when I get married, like that's going to solve all my problems. Like I'm going to have somebody who loves me unconditionally. Somebody who like Jerry Maguire, like uh, completes me, Right. And, and that, that was me. That's the way I thought about it. And I remember uh, I was getting to, into ministry and getting opportunities to preach. And, and one of my first opportunities to preach on the stage like this, uh, I remember being so anxious, so timid, so nervous about what people would think of me and all those sorts of things. But, but by God's grace, like this speaking engagement I had, it was after my wedding day, like a couple weeks after. And it wasn't just after my wedding day. It was after my honeymoon in Cabo San Lucas. Hallelujah. Right? And I just remember thinking, like, I literally played this out in my head. Okay, I'm gonna get back from my wedding, my honeymoon, I'm married to this beautiful woman, like, all my dreams have come true, and then I'm gonna stand on a stage and preach, and I'm not gonna care what people think. And all my anxiety and timidity will fade away, and I'll just get up there and, like, preach fire down from heaven, right? Because I'm, I'm married now, right? And I remember getting up on stage to preach that time after being married, after Cabo San Lucas, and I was still nervous. And I still cared what people thought about me, and I thought, that's not the way this is supposed to be. And then I remember going further in ministry and looking at my Bible and reading it and just seeing how massive it was and how there was 66 books and 40 plus authors written over three different continents and three different languages. And, and I was trying to understand it and I couldn't get past Leviticus. And I was just confused by that. I'm supposed to understand this Bible and I'm supposed to share it with other people. Like, how am I supposed to do that? And some other people said, we well, should go to seminary. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna go to seminary and that's gonna fix it. And I'm going to learn the Bible, and that's all I'm going to do is I'm going to commit a few years just to study it and study it with people who have studied it their whole lives, like professors. And I'm going to read all these books, and I'm going to write all these papers, and that's all I'm going to do. And at the end of that, I'm going to get a degree, and I'm going to put it over my desk, on my wall, and I'm going to know the Bible so well that I can teach the Bible to other people. And I did all that. And I really just, here's what I learned in seminary, how much I don't know and how much the, the chancellor didn't know and the president doesn't know and the professors don't know. And I remember specifically in seminary, people would talk about palming the Bible. Like, here's what you really want to do. You get so comfortable with the Bible, so knowledgeable with the Bible, you just palm it like a basketball in people's faces, right? And even then, I thought that was kind of silly. Like, shouldn't the Bible palm us, right? But I digress. Um, but it was this idea, like, you're going to arrive, and you're going to get the Bible, you're going to know it. And I remember even getting further in ministry and thinking, like, I was a different kind of pastor and, and a different associate pastor, community, all these things. And I just remember thinking, well, when I become a lead pastor, that's when it's really going to happen for me. That's when I'm going to start influencing cities and the nations, for Christ and, and like these lead pastors I would look up to who had these sweet little families and these powerful sermons. And I was like, I'm gonna be one of those guys. And that's when it's really gonna count, really gonna matter. And then some of you know who our story here at Phoenix Bible Church, I became a lead pastor and 
it was just messy. And I just realized like the responsibility and the weight and like, oh, when everybody has problems, they come to you. They don't meet with you for coffee to tell you how much they love Jesus and how everything's working out in their life. Now, the reason they're coming to you is like they have burdens to bear and they're, they need help with that. And I just remember thinking, this isn't what I thought. You see, at every stage of my life, I thought the next stage would bring me success, purpose, fulfillment, meaning, belonging, and life. And I would even feel like I'd get to that next stage. And it wasn't what I thought. It was like chasing after the wind. It was like chasing after something and, and even getting it, like grasping it, and then in your hand, and then you open it up, and there's nothing there, or at least not what you thought should be there. And listen, that, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why we entitled it Chasing the Wind. And, and you need to know off the top, we're gonna spend 10 weeks and 12 chapters. This is a different book of your Bible. Like you don't need to be thinking like Pauline epistles and propositional truth. This is in the wisdom part of your Bible. It's in the philosophical part of your Bible. In fact, college students, you should get class course credit for this. Like you won't, but you should, right? Petition your teacher for that because that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna philosophize about life and the meaning of life and what it really all comes down to. That's why every sermon in this series is gonna be entitled with a question because I believe that's what Solomon is getting us to do is to consider life, to think about life. And today's questions, if you take notes, you can write this down. Our, our, our sermon title is, Does It Even Matter? Solomon wants us to consider, does life even matter? And he's going to get to that right away. So if you have a Bible, grab it and uh, head to the middle of your Bible. You got Psalms, Proverbs, then you have Ecclesiastes, or you can take this fancy Ecclesiastes journal. And we have the Bible right in here for you, and you can take notes as we go along here. So make sure you get the Bible in front of you. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1. It says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So I want to stop right there. Here's who's writing Ecclesiastes, the King Solomon. And uh, a lot of scholars will kind of debate this, but we kind of see right off the top, the son of David, that's Solomon, king in Jerusalem, that's Solomon. He talks about attaining wisdom of all sorts. That's Solomon from what we know as you kind of read First Kings where you can read the story of King Solomon. And so scholars will sometimes debate, I believe it's Solomon. And so as we read this, we're picturing Solomon, but you notice he doesn't say Solomon, he says the words of the preacher. That's this literal word in the Hebrew uh, called Koheleth. Can you guys say that with me? Koheleth. Uh, it literally means like an assembly that has come together to listen to someone teach. And so if you picture Solomon, this isn't like the wisest, wealthiest woman chasing Solomon. This is Solomon later in life, inviting you for a cup of tea to learn the lessons of life. So that's who we're hearing from. We see that in verse one. Then he gets right into it. He doesn't ease into it at all. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Happy New Year. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. 
The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun." Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So we're just going to stop right there and break this down. I love, look at verse 2 again with me. Vanity of vanities. He repeats it, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, I, I love that Solomon just gets right to the point. Right? Typically, you'll have a letter in the Bible or a book of the Bible, and they kind of start out with an introduction. Like Solomon's introduction is one verse, and then he says, life is meaningless. Right? And that word vanity, some of your translations may say meaningless. Uh, other translations may say absurd. It's this word in the Hebrew called havel that we really can't capture with the English language, but it literally means just a puff of smoke. That's what it means. The vanity, havel, it's just a puff of vapor. Like in James, life is a vapor. You breathe out that steam this morning in cold Phoenix air, and it's gone. It disappears. That's what he's talking about. And if you notice, he says, vanity of vanities. It's like the holy of holies is the most holy place. This is the, the, the most place where it's, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. It's a puff of smoke of all puffs of smoke. And he says, that is Life. That's life. And he mentions that phrase, vanity, havel, 38 times in the book. And he gives us that word picture of it's like chasing after the wind. To think you're going to find meaning and you grab it and there's nothing there. It's just a puff of smoke. It's like watching Care Bears when you're growing up. Anybody watch Care Bears growing up and the clouds look so fun? They're just bouncing all up and down on the clouds. I remember that's how I thought clouds were until I took a, a flight and I flew in an airplane and I flew through those bouncy clouds and guess what it was? Nothing. <laughs> that's what Solomon's giving you a word picture. It's like chasing after the wind. It's like a puff of smoke. That is your life. Life is elusive. Solomon is trying to show us. Another phrase he gives us in verse 3 is this phrase, under the sun. He uses that phrase 29 times in the book. And he's, he's talking about that, hey, this is the way life works on earth in a fallen world. See, some of you, Ecclesiastes, it's going to drive you crazy. Right? Because you, you love the Pauline epistles. You love propositional truth. You love doctrine and theology. And Solomon is going to philosophize with you about this meaningless life without God. See, multiple times throughout this book, and even today, you're going to be like, well, Tim, no, life is redeemed by God. That's a sermon for another day. Well, life, like, but yeah, but God, he stepped into human history. He took on flesh. He lived the life that we could never live. He died the death that we should have died. He rose again, and he defeated sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And all our confusion and all of our pain and all of our brokenness, he brings new life and abundant life. That's, that's a sermon for another day. That's a different part of your Bible. 
This is a part of your Bible. In fact, if you are new to church, we're so glad you're here. This is a great series for you to come to because this book and this series isn't for the religious, it's for the realist. See, Solomon, unlike other passages and books of the Bible, He's not gonna mention the Exodus. He's not gonna reference the covenant that God has with his people. He's not gonna talk about Abraham and Moses. He's not gonna talk about that. You know why? He's talking about life under the sun. Life that since Genesis 3 and the fall and sin, that everything is infected and affected by sin. And now our world is broken. It's a life under the sun. And listen, this teaches us a lot about God, doesn't it? That some of us are uncomfortable with this, but God doesn't seem to be. God included this book in the Bible because we have a transparent God. He's not trying to hide the realities of life. He's exposing them right in front of your face today and through this series so you can know how to navigate the realities of life. And that's why he says this is life under the sun. And he tells us a few things about life under the sun. Verse eight, look at that verse. He says, there's a weariness in this world. Verse nine, it's just, this is just the way it is. It's always been this way. It'll always be this way. Verse 10, he says, there's really nothing new in this world. In this world under the sun. And some of you might be thinking, well, Tim, I don't know. Like, did he know Elon Musk was coming? Like, did he know about Frank Lloyd Wright? And, and I would say, yeah, like, what he's saying is, is function and form, like there's the same function throughout history. Yeah, the forms may change. Like you may shop uh, by the click of a button on Amazon and get it the next day, but you still just want things, and so do they. Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright, he's got some amazing design, like we've never seen, but he's still just making buildings. Yeah, Elon Musk, electric cars, fantastic, amazing. Still just transportation, getting from A to B. That if you think about it, there's nothing really new under the sun. Everybody's still making money, spending money. They were doing that in Solomon's day thousands of years ago. Everybody just looking for happiness, looking for fulfillment. We're still doing that today. That's life under the sun. Without God, a secular, materialistic worldview. That's what Solomon is showing us. That's what he's describing for us. And he continues to describe it. And he says, verse three, look at that verse. He calls it toil, calls it work. And he's not just talking about your vocation or your job. He's talking about the daily grind of life. He says, what do you gain from all your toil in life? What do you gain from all your work? Not just your job, your work when you get up in the morning and you take a shower and you brush your teeth and you try to look your best and you go out and you impress and you attain and you achieve and you accumulate things and then you go to bed again at night and you brush your teeth and maybe you take another shower and you go to bed and then you get up and you do it all again. He's saying, hey, life isn't just elusive, it's repetitive, it's toil, and you're actually not moving forward. You think you are, but you're not really gaining anything. You're not really profiting anything. It's like when Mark 8 and Jesus says, hey, what does a man profit when he gains the whole world but loses his soul? It's the same idea. What do you profit? How are you getting ahead in this life under the sun? It's all toil. And we see this, don't we? Like we see this on small scales and large scales. I think I see it best with, with having three kids and chores around the house. Like one of their chores is to unload the dishwasher, like every day. 
And every time we ask them, you know what their response is? Hey, hey kids, we need to unload the dishwasher. Well, we wanna watch this show. But first you have to unload the dishwasher. Parents, free tip, okay? Unload the dishwasher. Will you unload the dishwasher? And here's what their response is. Every single day. Again? We have to do that again? Which, to which I'm like, yeah, there's five people in this house. Did you eat a meal on a plate? Yeah, we gotta wash it and then we gotta put it in. Then we gotta take it out and put it back. And listen, I can crack on my kids for that, but I do the same thing. Like earlier in my life, when I, when I finally started to like, I'm getting older, I gotta work out, right? And maybe somebody else told me that. And so I like, I started, okay, I gotta work out, so I need to join a gym. And I gotta pick the right gym, and I need to get some workout clothes, and I gotta pick the right workout clothes that don't like slink to your body, you know what I'm saying? And I, I gotta get the right, and I gotta look good while I work out, and I gotta get the right shoes, and my shoes are a little dingy, I gotta get some new shoes, you know what, I gotta go on Nike.com and like win the shoes in the lottery, but yet still pay for them. What is that about? Life is toil under the sun, come on. Uh, and, I got, and then I got to like, once I join the gym and get all the gear, then I got to remember to pack it in the morning and leave work in time to go work out. And then I got to download a program or an exercise regimen so I know what I'm doing and don't throw out my back. And then I do that. And two days I can't walk. And I'm in serious pain. And then my CrossFit buddy comes over to me and he's like, you ready to do that again? And what do I say to him? You want me to do that again? I gotta do this again? Actually, yeah, in two weeks, like if you don't do anything, you'll lose all that muscle you just gained. Life under the sun, it's toil. What am I gaining from this? Like we've all experienced this on small scales, but also on big scales. Right? When you work 80 hours a week to the detriment of your family for 20, 30 50 years of your life and you build up the 401k and you raise up the perfect kids, they get the scholarship, they got the grades, you get the right house and then you get the rent house or the Airbnb casita, come on somebody. And, and you, you're, you're looking on Instagram and you're like, but they still got this and you're comparing yourself to them and you're accumulating and you're achieving and you're comparing for 20, for 30, for 50, for 60 years and you get to the end of that and what do you get to take with you when you die? Zero. You never end up in the black. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You got to say it with a Texas accent, right? Isn't that true? What do you gain in the toil of life under the sun? And you're thinking, Tim, why so depressing? <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying Ecclesiastes is like positive, encouraging Caleb. I, but it's not depressing though. Here's what it is, honest. This is the reality of life. This is the reality of your life without God. And Solomon's preaching. He's a preacher, Koheleth. He's preaching this to you. And you know what? He's gonna do 12 chapters of this. You guys ready? Every Sunday we're gonna do this. You're like, oh my gosh. Every Sunday we're gonna do this. You know why? Because every Sunday you're gonna leave and you're gonna forget about this. And you're gonna think, no, 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 but my job, my job counts. <laughs> People are gonna remember me. No, my, my kids, 
I mean, have you seen how cute they are? I mean, they're gonna grow up and they're gonna be something. They're gonna leave a lasting legacy. And Solomon is gonna quickly tell you, no, they're not, right? Verse four, he says, a generation comes and goes. Verse 11, no one even remembers. Verses five through seven, he says, hey, even when you stop, the world doesn't stop. Notice he gives us multiple examples, the sun, the wind, the streams, there's rising, there's blowing, there's flowing, and they just keep going. Even when you die, they keep going. In verse 11, no one even remembers. This is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable for me. Like, I just think, man, when my kids have kids and they have kids and I got like great grandkids, like here's how I kind of think about life. I think when they tuck their little kids in at night, they're gonna be sharing stories about the adventures of Tim, right? That's the way it's gonna work, right? I mean, as they kind of snuggle into their blankets, they're gonna sit down for one more story about the adventures of Tim Birdwell, and like, you're, guys, you're a great granddad, and they're going to be kind of falling asleep, but like, I really want to listen, so I'm going to wake back up. And they're going to start telling stories of like, yeah, there's a guy, you're a great granddad, great guy. He planted a church, Phoenix Bible Church. There was a lot of obstacles, but he was very resilient, and, and he kept going, and, and now there's a church that's still there. And, and he was, you know, he was low-key athletic, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, your great granddad, I mean, he was like, he was really funny. And like, I mean, you just talk to that guy and he would just, you're having a bad day and not anymore after you talk to Tim and he would just uplift you. And, and I'm thinking that's the way I think it's going to roll out with my great grandkids. And yet Solomon is saying, bro, they're not even going to know your name, right? I mean, how many of you know your great granddaddy's name? I, maybe some of you who just went on Ancestry.com are like, yes, I know his name, right? But the rest of we, we don't even know their name. That's going to be you one day. And Solomon is telling you that. And again, you're thinking, why? <laughs> why is he grinding away at us so much? Here's what he's trying to show you, is that life is beyond your control. Life is beyond your control, You see, you may have the illusion of control, like you may get the the lottery with the Nikes and you get the white ones, like the all white ones, the Air Force ones, like my 12-year-old daughter got, and you may like try to walk around like this, you don't get creases. Come on, some of y'all done this. And you can have the illusion of control, but guess what, eventually you get creases in your shoes, (laughs) right? And Solomon's just trying to save you the trouble of walking dumb like this. And he just said, you're going to get creases. Your life's going to be painful at times. You're going to lose people in life. Eventually, your life is going to be lost. And there may be a funeral procession where people pull over for 30 seconds, maybe two minutes. But then guess what? They're going to keep going. And the rivers, they're going to keep flowing. And the sun's going to rise another day. Life is beyond your control. Listen, in America in 2022, like we need to hear this message because we, we have the illusion, we have climate controlled storage buildings. We have the illusion, we can deny the decay. And Solomon wants to remind you over and over, no, you don't. Life under the sun, this is the way it works. You need something that transcends life, not something in life. 
That's the only thing that's going to satisfy you. Here's the next thing. Life isn't just beyond our control. It's beyond our comprehension. Look at verse 12. Solomon continues. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. He just said he's smarter than his dad, right? King David, yeah, that guy, like I've surpassed wisdom even more than King David. And he said, my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know also madness and folly. Uh, Solomon says, hey, I've even tried to learn folly to find knowledge. It's like the Batman Begins, like Christian Bale, where he, he goes into the prisons and he wants to learn the criminal mind. Like Solomon's saying, I've done everything you can possibly think of to get knowledge and wisdom. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. That means annoying. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow and grief. Solomon says, life is beyond your control, but it's also beyond your comprehension. And you need to know, and you need to have some context for who Solomon is. He kind of gave you his resume a little bit, but we see in like 2 Chronicles chapter 1, Solomon has this kind of like Aladdin moment where he gets one wish before God. God comes to Solomon and says like, what do you want? And he actually says, I want wisdom. I want discernment of the heart. And God grants that to him. And he had all the, the rule in life as a king. He had all the, the wisdom in life. And yet, this is where he still ends up. Life is beyond my control, but it's also beyond my comprehension. And listen, today in 2022, it's still the same. With all our information, we have way more information than Solomon did. We have way more science and technology and initials in front of our names. We got Oprah and Matthew McConaughey, right? We, we have all these people bringing new ideas. We, we have Elon Musk. We have people that are launching into space. And yet, we still have human trafficking. We still have debt. We still have racism. We still have violence. We still have divorce. We still have abuse. But I thought, I thought we're, learning and growing. We have all the wisdom and we have all the technology. And Oprah said she'd give somebody a school and like Matthew McConaughey may run for governor and like, but we still have all these issues and nobody knows the answers because Solomon is showing us life is beyond your control, but it's also beyond your comprehension. And so what do we do with that? <laughs> what are we going to do with this for 10 weeks? Right? Here's two things as we start. I want to uh, have you write this down. The first thing is this. Don't give up on life. Give your life to God. Here's what I think God is trying to show us. Don't give up on life, but give your life up to God. 
Uh, see, this week, I, I had an opportunity where I just uh, felt like giving up on life. It was a busy, busy week for my family. Uh, many of you know me, know I'm kind of an introverted person. And uh, so it's not that I don't like people. Like, I love people. I love you. I love hanging out with you. But when I'm done hanging out with you, I want to rest, right? Because I'm introverted. And yet, this week, every single night, we had something at our house. And work was busy with my staff. And uh, even Friday, we had a photo shoot as a family all day with Arizona Tourism. And I'm not going to share with you like how we get those things, but I'll tell you the story later because I don't want to get sidetracked. But we had all these things. And I was with my family at this photo shoot all day and all these people were trying to tell us what to do and taking pictures of my, and my kids were like, just like, I'm done with this. And they were spent and we had this lunch and we had Little Miss Barbecue. Hallelujah, right? And at this lunch, actually, we were sitting in the sun, like the glaring sun of Phoenix on a picnic table as a family. And my little six-year-old daughter was like, dad, I'm hot. And I'm like, I am too. So we went and found some shade. But after a couple moments, she wanted mom. So she went back up to the son and mom, right? And I found myself, listen to this. I found myself in the quiet. Nobody around. An introvert's dream. And I put in my AirPods and I ate a little bit more brisket. And I was in the shade by myself. And I thought in that moment, I thought I could do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, I mean, what could be better than this? And I thought about Ecclesiastes and I thought, man, if I just thought about life under the sun, I could do this the rest of my life. But then I thought, wow, is that what Solomon is trying to get us to see? No. He's trying to get us to see like, yeah, all of life, like you would give up on life without God. That all of life is a chasing after the wind without God that we're meant to get to uh, Ecclesiastes and get to the rock bottom of trying to pursue every success and dream and fulfillment and pleasure in and of our own strength. And we're meant to open up our hands and give all that to God. The one who has control, the one who has comprehension, we're meant to see we don't have that. Let's attach ourselves to the one who does. Let's cling to him. Let's not give up on life. Let's give everything in our life to him that he gives you purpose and he gives you meaning and he gives you, John 10, he gives you an abundant life, a fulfilled life, but it's not in you, it's in him. That's what we're meant to see. So he's taking us to our end so we realize all we need and all we really have is God. The second thing is empathize with the brokenness of life while pointing to the one who transcends life. See, here's what's so great about Solomon is he's bringing us to a place of empathy. Like if you really read this book, if you take your journal and you really navigate this over the next 10 weeks with us, if you join us on Sundays, man, you are going to empathize with the pain and brokenness and confusion of our world. And so that the next time a friend comes to you and says, hey, I thought I was doing everything right. I went to church. I did all the right things. I stopped drinking. I stopped having sex with my girlfriend. I stopped looking at porn. I stopped uh, grinding away in life and overworking to the detriment of my family. I stopped in greed, just buying everything on Amazon. I stopped comparing myself in envy toward other people. I stopped doing all that. But Tim, I still, I'm not married yet. Or Tim, I still, my kid doesn't follow Jesus yet. 
Tim, financially, our life's a mess. How do you compute that, Tim? And you're gonna be able to say to them, before you say how to fix it, put a smile on it, turn on positive, encouraging K-love. Before you say that, you're gonna say, I understand. And not only do I understand, like Solomon, Ecclesiastes, God understands. That's hard. And you can empathize with people while elevating their eyes to the one who's above the sun, to Jesus Christ, who entered into all the brokenness and all the pain and all the confusion, who was God who hung the stars in the sky. He put on flesh and he came in, down into your muck, into your mire, into your brokenness, into your confusion. And he brought clarity in Christ. And he did live the life that you could never live. And he did die the death that you deserved. And he did rise again, defeating brokenness and sin and pain. And that one day he will make all of this life under the sun. He will make it like above the sun. He will make it right. And there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more death and no more confusion. And that's the opportunity that you have. As we read Ecclesiastes, you can empathize, but you can also elevate people's eyes. Like empathize, this is what happens in life. Like I get that, but let's look at the one, let's fix our eyes on the one who transcends life. And let's lock arms together and follow him and him alone for our fulfillment, success, and meaning in life. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. That's why I'm so excited to spend the next 10 weeks studying that. You guys excited? All right, we're doing it. We're doing it. Okay, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this book. I do thank you that we get the opportunity to lean into it, to study it, to mark up our Bibles or our journals with it and just ask these questions that you're asking us to ask and that we would do that with this Bible in our hand and with this community around us and you would help us to see that in Christ alone is where we find fulfillment is where we find meaning and that everything else really is a chasing after the wind. And God, you would would help us this morning to, to see that, to even celebrate that, that we can find hope and joy and meaning in Christ. And God, we wouldn't have to experience just the pain and confusion of life under the sun. God, you bring meaning into all of it. Help us to see that. Help us to celebrate that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.